You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, on October the 8th, which will be a Sunday, uh, we will multiply our Sunday gatherings to 8, 10, and 10, 40. You can run it all together, um, 8, 10, 40. Uh, that'll help you, help you begin to, to kind of uh, remember that. And, uh, and for some of you who are like me, whether it's because of children or construction or procrastination, just think 8 and 10.30 and you'll be here right on time. <laughs> I, right here, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. No judgment-free zone. And so 8, 10, and 10.40, uh, are, we're going to multiply our gathering times. We want to kind of push the limits of 8 and 12, which makes most of us uncomfortable. And if being here till noon makes your stomach growl, then 8, 10 is for you. If getting up that early makes you kind of nervous, then we're, we'll gather at 1040. The reason we're doing this, and I'll talk more about this even in just a moment, we want to make room for more people to hear about Jesus. God has blessed our church with numerical growth. Um, unfortunately, uh, as, as miraculous as it is that God has brought people here, God has not miraculously made parking lots and parking spaces appear. Uh, and so you know this as well as I do, finding a parking spot was difficult. And so uh, we, we want to be good stewards of the resources we have, and we want to make room in the parking lot and even in Kids Connection. We're on the verge of being able or having to turn people away, uh, and, and that just simply is unacceptable. We, we, we planted this church. We, we're a group of people who want people to hear about Jesus. And so we want to lo- lower or remove every possible barrier that we can. Uh, and so that for us is, is what we, we believe is good stewardship of the time that we've been given. So 810, 1040, I'll say more about it. But what I want to simply pitch to you before we open the Bible together is that I want to, uh, I, I want to talk over the last couple of weeks and even this week and, and one more week and a couple of weeks about who we are as a church, why we exist, and why we would do something like this, why we would sacrifice a routine, a comfortable routine for Sunday morning. Uh, I, I feel like I've just figured out um, in the last couple of years a really great Sunday routine. And so even just selfishly, I'm kind of like, man, I, I really enjoy that. Now that's going to go out the window. Uh, and I'm sure that's probably the case for many of you. And, and you might wonder, why would I do that? Why would I make that kind of a sacrifice? And the answer is we want to make room for more people to hear about Jesus. At, cert, at a certain point, sometime in your life, if you would call yourself a Christian, someone made room for you. Someone was generous with the gospel. Someone with time, energy, I don't know, it was an invitation, I don't know, it was care. Um, for some of you, it was perseverance, someone who just invited you over and over and over again. Maybe that's, some of you are here because somebody has persevered in inviting you. And so I'm grateful. We think this is a gift and we don't want to keep it a secret. We want as many people to hear about Jesus as possible. And so uh, the most selfish way I know to say it is this, I really like you guys. I want more people to enjoy what I have enjoyed on a Sunday morning when we get together. And over the last 10 years, when we gather together on a Sunday morning, it has been powerful and for me formative and transformative even when Jesus meets us when we gather together. Now, now our gathering on a Sunday morning isn't all that we are. It's one part of what it means to be a healthy church. But it has been a powerful thing. And, and I don't know what to tell you. I really like you. I like what happens when Jesus meets with us together. And I want your neighbors, your family members, your coworkers, your, the students, your peers, people around, I want them to experience what I've experienced when we gather together in Jesus' name. And so we want to make room for more people to do just that. Now, as we kind of cast a vision for what that looks like, we've been running through the book of Acts. And if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, to the 10th chapter. It's a turning point in the book of Acts. 
the acts, literally the actions of the apostles, uh, what happened after they heard the good news or experienced the resurrected Jesus in person, this is what they began to do. And so if you don't have a smartphone, there's a paperback Bible in the chair in front of you. Make that our gift to you. But we'll be walking through, I'll read the entire chapter, chapter 10. It's going to take several minutes to get through it, but it's this narrative turning point. And I'll give you the picture of why we want to multiply services, why we want to multiply disciples, plant churches, multiply gospel communities, why we want to see this thing that God has given us and make more of it. And it's simply this. We saw in the first week that the church has an otherworldly story, a story that we have been incorporated into, into God's redemptive purpose. A story that, unlike any other story, doesn't crush and silence our own story, but it actually dignifies it and exalts it. To where your story, whatever it is, wherever you come from, whatever your story is, you're incorporated into, you're drawn into, and your story now has meaning. It's not small and insignificant. It fits into, is a part of the bigger story of what God is doing in all of the world. And we saw last week that the church has an otherworldly community. We belong to an otherworldly supernatural community. It doesn't look like communities of the world, or at least we try. It ought not to simply look like the kinds of associations and communities in the world but it's otherworldly. And I want you to see that in, in this week, as we, as we read this chapter, that the church has an otherworldly purpose. You might think otherworldly, or otherworldly calling, other, an otherworldly mission. What do I mean by mission? Well, that word mission simply is something that, that the, the church has picked up on in the biblical language of the mission of God. Literally, uh, in, in the original uh, way we would talk about this, you'll hear the scholars speak of the missio dei, the mission of God, that is God's initiative and purpose to restore and heal creation. There's something broken in the world, and you know it. And even our friend Oprah knows it, right? Any great philanthropic kind of person knows there's something broken, and we're trying to deal with it or fix it. There's something broken, and the Lord of the universe has come to be with us and for us to restore, to make all things new. That's the purpose of God. You can see this uh, probably most powerfully in the prophetic book, the minor prophet Habakkuk gives a vision to these people who are experiencing the kind of turmoil and distress that you and I know we see in the world. And in this prophetic word uh, to these people who are experiencing, you'll see the wrestling, the turmoil and dissension, conflict, war, pain and strife in the world amongst the nations. He says, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. So he's given like, here's the kind of injustice and brokenness in the world. The Lord sees it and woe to the person who's doing this. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. And this is what God will do, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is what God is doing. This is God's initiative, his restorative, redemptive initiative in the world that he's invited us to be a part of. That redemptive purpose that he came to be with us and for us, to finish it, complete it, to begin something in Jesus Christ, so that now those of us who are disciples of Jesus are inviting others to belong to this redemptive mission and inviting others to be to join with Jesus and with us in it. So the mission of the church then, in light of this purpose of God, is the task given by God for the people of God to accomplish in the world. So that is, we are a part of, in some powerful way, we are participating in the redemptive work of God to fill the earth, not with strife, brokenness, oppression, and injustice, but to fill the world in seed form with his redemptive purpose. The mission of the church then is to go, we've seen this as we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, literally to be sent, 
That's what the word mission means. Missio just means to be sent into the world and make disciples. That is, in a world of hopelessness, we, we are a people. We are a people made new by the good news we've seen. And we're into the world inviting people into this. So, this is the mission of God. Now, in the mission of God visible, and the mission of the church visible, in the turning point in the book of Acts we find in chapter 10, you'll see this. Up to this point, Christianity, like every other world religion, is kind of held down to, in some small way, to a particular ethnicity, to a particular language, and a particular geography. The trajectory of the book of Acts, the trajectory of the Christian mission, as we see in the book of Acts, and even in our own lives, is from inward to outward. It starts in Jerusalem, and it goes from Jerusalem to the outskirts, Judea, to Samaria, the outsiders, and then to the ends of the earth. So the story of the book of Acts starts in Jerusalem, but it ends, and the begin- it, it ends at, the, at the center of the known world, the ends of the earth, that is Rome. And this is one of the turning points where we see Cornelius, a Roman centurion, and Peter, a Jew. So this turning point happens... And I want it to be, uh, uh, for us, a, a, a way of thinking through and seeing what Jesus has called us to be. Why would we multiply services? Why would I invite you to invite other people and include people to hear about this gospel? I want to tell you why right here. So beginning in chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men that he had seen might, or excuse me, the the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, the three men who are looking, excuse me, the three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. 
And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been, or excuse me, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who was called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. 
the church has an otherworldly purpose. And in the history of the church, one of the greatest turning points where that otherworldly purpose is visible is in this chapter. Where a predominantly sectarian Jewish religion that was beginning to grow in Jerusalem and Judea breaks out of its original language, of its original ethnicity, nationality, and culture, and has a trajectory to every tribe, tongue, and nation. This movement has a trajectory outward. Growth, expansion is the theme. It's like the parable of the mustard seed that Jesus said. It started as something very small and seemingly insignificant, unimpressive, that it's now exponentially more than you could ask or imagine. It's a movement that goes through this chosen nation of people as was promised in Genesis 12 to the founder of this nation who was called out of the Gentiles to be a Jew, namely Abram, who became Abraham, that through him and through his seed, his offspring, the whole of the world, all the nations would be blessed. Before I go any further, I want to share with you that is happening. The fact that you and I are gathered right here is testimony to a movement, a story that's otherworldly, a people that's otherworldly, and a purpose and mission and trajectory that's otherworldly. Need I remind you, the original language of this story is not English. Christianity did not start in English. It did not start in South Dakota. It did not start in America or this continent. It started in another nation, ethnicity, another nationality, another language. It started something, and it has spread to where 2,000 years from then, you and I are still talking about it. We don't look, talk, or act like any of the people in this story. And yet, that trajectory to the nations is fulfilled and visible for those of you who will look around the room and see it. The church has an otherworldly purpose. And you see that purpose here, where Peter shares the good news beginning in verse 34 of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished for us, such that the powerful work of the Spirit called these people to faith. It changed everything. Now, I've got a slide here. It's supposed to be two different slides. You'll have to bear with my incompetence here, as is usual. But the first, the first phrase is what I want to see here, and then we'll, we'll, I'll just pretend like I'm switching to that number one, which is the next slide, but my fault. The numbers will be off as well, I'm noticing here. I'll explain it as we go. The mission of the church is conversion growth through evangelism. I say that to be as explicit as possible. Now, if you're in this room, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're skeptical or at least maybe wonder about this whole Christianity thing, who Jesus is and what the church is. I'm really glad you're here. I'm going to talk about what the church is, and I want to invite you to eavesdrop on all that it is. And one of the things you'll hear in, in the history of Christianity or even in churches today is this about the mission of the church. And a lot of things gets lumped into the junk drawer of the mission or the purpose of the church. But I want to be very explicit about it. It is conversion growth. That is people born again by faith. Ab- actually completely, substantively changed into something they were not before because they hear the good news of Jesus that was proclaimed to, him, that, that, to them. That word evangelism is from the Greek word evangelion, which simply means gospel or good news. 
And so the mission of the church is that people would be made new, transformed, converted, born again. The language of Acts is saved. The language of Colossians is that they would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. The language of Ephesians is that they would be invited and adopted. They were once far off, aliens, but now family, adopted into the household of God. All of this is transformative act by hearing the good news of what Christ has accomplished to make that possible. We receive it by faith. That's an act of grace. It's God's purpose of restoring the world. And so I, I think you see four components here of mission. Four things that I want us to reflect on. If we're going to multiply as a church on a Sunday morning, if we're going to multiply, begin to make, have gospel goodbyes, our relationships will change, make sacrifices for more people to hear about Jesus, I want to make sure you know exactly what it is that we would make this sacrifice for. The first one is this, is that real mission, mission begins with God. Mission begins with God. Throughout this particular, uh, this passage we read, right? Chapter three, it starts with a vision from an angel that comes to Cornelius, who's not a Jew, an outsider. And then there's a vision and a voice that comes to Peter in verse 13. And then Jesus appeared, as we see here in verse 41, to those who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Do you hear this powerful language throughout the entirety of the book of Acts as you read through it, and you see it here in this turning point, is that God's purpose, it's God's initiative that fuels the church. The mission of the church, the mission of Christians, individual members of local churches, is God's initiative. Now that's incredibly important for a number of different reasons. I'll give you just a few of them. Many of us think that. Many of us might experience the uh, coming to be, be a Christian, to express and profess faith in Jesus is something that we're doing. I know for many of you, it, you might think of it as something as like something you were looking for. You, you went out looking to find God, looking to find Jesus. That's how everyone experiences at first, but at a certain point, real mission, real evangelism, real conversion, Real spiritual transformation is the initiative and the act of God. And you realize, and this is the powerful thing, you weren't looking for God at all. God was looking for you. Now, at first, it won't feel that way. You'll think, I was looking for happiness, for satisfaction, for answers, right? I was looking for these things. But something powerful happens. You realize, oh my goodness, I wasn't trying to find God. God was trying to find me. And you see the initiative of God on display here in the mission of the church. Now, this is what this encourages us for, right? Uh, let me give you the first encouragement. If, if you're in this room and you, you feel paralyzed by doubt or questions that don't seem to have any answers, or maybe right now, as I say that regularly, like maybe if you're not a Christian, you're just confused, you're not sure, but you're asking, I want to encourage you with, with the most powerful encouragement I can imagine. This is meant to bolster our confidence because the fact that you're looking, asking, or curious means God has found you. And so, friend, ask boldly. Seek. Different authors say it different ways, but like, it's like this. Do you want a God who makes all things new? Do you want a God who can repair all that's broken in the world? Because if you want this God, and you want a God who makes things new, then you know the God, you know that God already wants you. 
There are no coincidences, coincidences, I might say it that way. If you're searching for God, you become aware of the fact that he's been searching for you. Unlike any other worldview, philosophy, or religion, we are not trying to build a ladder to God. We are not trying to get to God. We have good news. God has gotten to us. God has taken on flesh in Jesus and been all that we could not to make us all that we could not be. But here's what this also means for us. I'll get to it in just a moment, but we're on a mission that cannot fail. Now, you can't guarantee the outcomes. You have no control over them. But this mission, this trajectory that you and I as Christians are invited into cannot fail. And that includes even the redemptive work he's doing in your heart. This is the power of the gospel for us. I know some of you right now, you're wandering. You feel so far from God. But hear the good news. This is God's purpose. This is God's mission. You can't mess up what you didn't do. You can try. Join the club. You can run, but you can't hide. And what God has begun, and even in this morning, it might be something very small and elementary. You're just curious about Christianity. You just wonder about this Jesus. Maybe you're just kind of intrigued by Jesus or what a bunch of people who was excited about this this man who lived and died and was resurrected 2,000 years ago. Like, maybe you were just intrigued by it. I want you to see it for what it is. Be encouraged. You're being drawn into something that God will complete. And that means that as we live on mission, we have the, the declaration of our story now adopted by and subsumed in this great story of Jesus cannot and will not fail. So invite, share, proclaim. This is God's initiative. God will complete it. Here's the second thing. It's going to say number one, but that's my incompetence on display. Number two, if mission, uh, or see, mission begins, oh, it isn't. I'm less, I'm more incompetent than I thought. (laughs) To your benefit, mission begins with God. Two, mission is a challenge to religiosity. Now, there are a lot of things going on here, but I want to draw attention to at least one that scholars draw out. Notice the paradox Cornelius was a man who was what? Devout, who feared God. He was evidently a religious person. But notice what you see in this paradox. Even though he was evidently a moral person, a religious person, what did he need? He needed to hear and be changed by the gospel. Even as religious and devout and and as noteworthy as that was, he was still in need of transformation mission begins to embrace that we are changed by grace and grace alone. Grace, we we offer nothing. We bring nothing to the table. Everything we need for all that is good is brought and supplied by God. Now, this is especially important to draw our attention to in, let's say, a Western post-cult, kind of a post-Christian culture in upper Midwest, we live in a somewhat post-Catholic, post-Lutheran culture where the, where the language and vernacular of religion is very, it's very rampant. But if you want to talk about Jesus, it's, you're going to feel, it's going to be weird. And, and so I, here, here's the powerful thing. For many people, if, if, I mean, if you're a good upper Midwesterner, you think your life is about your achievement, your hard work, how nice you are on the surface and how hard you work. Right? Like, like you could handle probably any other insult in the world, but in the upper Midwest, call someone lazy. 
And it's like, you, I mean, you'd be like, you're going to hell and you're lazy. See which one they'd get mad at. <laughs> I'm not, I am not kidding. That's, it's funny and it is painfully true. And for a bunch of religious people, true mission, true conversion, true spiritual transformation is, is, is a work of God by grace alone. And it challenges our religiosity. That is the belief that our own behavior merits some standing before God. And notice, here is a man who, by all accounts, is a moral man. And what, what does he hear? That his morality and goodness wasn't going to help him. What did he need? He needed to hear the good news of Jesus. He needed to be born again and made new. And so, even though Cornelius was a moral man, he needed to be born again. This is one of the powerful stories in John chapter 3, isn't it? Nicodemus, a man that is spoken highly of, comes to Jesus in secret and says, hey, you're good, I like you. And Jesus says, look, you will not see God unless you are born again. You are made new. And so real mission is a challenge, not just to the irreligious who do whatever they want, but to the religious who think that they can, by their own merit and control, have standing before God. Morality and goodness, good for you. It simply serves as a good preparation to hear the gospel. Because after all, here's what I know about you if this is you. If you're standing in the world, I've said this for two weeks in a row, I'll say it again, um, to quote Richard Lovelace in this, is like, if your current standing is based on your own religious performance, you're the most insecure person on earth. You can't take criticism. You can't admit you are wrong. You can't admit fault. Because your life and identity has to be in how good you are. And here's what I'll tell most of you who, who know what this is like. When you've put your eggs in that basket, when you've tried to have joy by how good you are, you know how good you're not. For those of you who have tried as hard as you can to be morally good, to be thought of well by everyone, you know how elusive that really is. And so Cornelius, maybe like you, is prepared to find real hope. Not in his own religious performance, but in God's initiative and a powerful gift of grace. Grace that you can't earn. Grace that brings hope to the irreligious. Those, who, those of you in the room, you do whatever you want, you, you're on the run. There's grace that receives you, but then there are the rest of you who are religious and self-righteous, judgmental. There's grace for you too. And with grace, both the irreligious and religious find their one true hope, and it's not in themselves. Thirdly, mission is a transformative reorienting of our being both horizontally and vertically. Look at their response when the Holy Spirit comes down on them. This is like a second Pentecost. If you read the second chapter of the book of Acts, you see the first Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes down and a bunch of people of different nationalities, ethnicities, and languages start to hear the gospel in their own voice. Well, Peter knows what that looks like, but he hasn't seen it necessarily in this way. When these people who he would think are far off, the people that are not included in his mind, he has to have this huge vision. Uh, this is the powerful thing, is that mission is transformative. It reorients us horizontally and vertical. Where do, where do I get that? First, it says that as the Holy Spirit falls on them, you can look at this in verse 45, 
They were amazed because the Holy Spirit was poured out even on those people, right? I don't know in your mind who those people are. That's who these people were, right? Peter and his friends were like, you know those people? Those are the worst. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to send you an angel to go talk to those people. They're like, okay, fine. And then the Holy Spirit falls, and those people start having the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. And look, as Peter was speaking, we find in verse 44, verse verse 46, they were hearing the speaking that Peter was doing in their own tongues. In t- they were hearing it in their own language because after all, remember Cornelius brought his family, friends, everybody he could. And the second thing is that they were extolling God. Do you see that? The tongues are a picture of God's redemptive work horizontally. Namely, that there is no culture, ethnicity, nationality, or language that can hold on to Christianity. There's no like leg up for any nationality. There's no leg up for any ethnicity. Now this is powerful for us uh, as we think about even just the history of Christianity and the history of religions in general. There is nothing like this, and I'll tell you two ways you know this. One, there is no other world religion that is spread outside of its original geography, ethnicity, and language. It doesn't exist. Islam hasn't. Even though, even though. Uh, even though the, the, the expansion of Islam is so rapid, it has not broken out of Arabic, and it has not broken out of the, most of the ethnicities and nationalities from whence it has come. It is still largely an ancient Near Eastern, Middle Eastern, African religion. And while people from that, those nations, tribes, and tongues are scattered, it has not broken out. It hasn't. Why? Because it offers a work, like an idea that in these five pillars, these five ways to God, we can find him. Well, that's a cultural, that has its own kind of cultural grounding. Buddhism, same way, is largely an Eastern Hindu, a a Southern Asian uh, religion. It has not broken out of, it it just hasn't. It has gains a little bit of traction. Here's the coolest thing. It's going to be discouraging for you Americans, but it's the coolest thing. Christianity is on the rise, not in America. Christianity for the last 40 years is blowing up, is flying off the handle in, um, in, in Asia, in China, in a largely kind of Baptistic framework. It's blowing up in Africa over the last 50 years in a, in a largely kind of Anglican expression, and in Latin America, South America, in a largely charismatic Pentecostal, Pentecostal persuasion. There is nothing like that. Nothing has ever seen it. The world has never seen any movement like this. And that's because what the Spirit does reorients us horizontally. This means for the church that in the church, because of the gospel, we see the end of ethnocentrism, the end of racism in seed form in the church. Because after all, no one can say, like, my ethnicity is best. No one can, like, one of the most powerful stories historians tell us um, in uh, uh, kind of the rise of the underground church in China started by banishing of Western English-speaking missionaries. So these English-speaking missionaries, lots of cool stories, English-speaking missionaries get to China, but when they're banished, something amazing happened, and it caused multiplication uh, beyond anything we've seen in, in the last couple of centuries. And that is, it became indigenous. Chinese Christians started sharing the gospel in their own native language. It stopped being a, right, it, you can see, it stopped being a Western white religion. It started being a life-transforming work of the Spirit. So real mission, real transformation reorients us horizontally. 
There's no longer those people because we realize apart from Christ, we were those people and now we're his. But also vertically, you see what, look what happened. They start to worship. They start to worship. It says they start to extol God. So now they're reoriented vertically. They start to see ultimate reality. And I would say this is exactly what we see when, when someone's spiritually transformed, when we're living on mission, real mission has both. And I've seen this in this room but I've also seen it when it gets missed. I think the best way to describe it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it, here we go. Be gracious with me what I'm about to say. I have seen in the last 10 years of being a part of God work through Connection Church, I see it when this doesn't happen. Namely, if what is supposed to happen is when we hear the good news of Jesus, we are radically reoriented to where now we worship and glorify him. What can happen is that you simply substitute the means by which you get the thing you worshiped all along. And so I've seen people, this is not mission, but I've seen this happen. Uh, I've seen, I'm not thinking of anyone in specific in this room because it just happens with humanity. I've seen a person who ultimately was owned by, like it had to have comfort, they had to have the approval of others, they had to have power and control, and then they, they, they kind of come into the life of the church and they're like, cool, I don't, I don't need to do any of this other stuff, and then they just start to use the church to get those things. Okay, so here, okay, I'm going to say it. I have seen men and women who are emotionally, relationally, and even sexually promiscuous, who are looking for approval in the opposite sex, come into the life of the church and say, I'm done with that. I'm I'm not going to look to the opposite sex for all that, but still desperately need the attention of others, desperately need to be the center of everything. Why? Why? Why, is that, why does that happen? Because what they worshiped has not changed. They haven't been reoriented vertically. They still worship approval. They've just found a real religious way to get it. They've just redressed, right? Did you get the idea? You can see this in your own heart where you're like, I want comfort, right? I want to be in control. And here's the weird part. You surround yourself with a religious folk. You can find religious means to get those godless things, But notice, real mission, real transformation is that not only are we reoriented horizontally, we see ourselves among the nations that are being blessed by God, but we are reoriented vertically. We have a new object of worship. And all the things we've ever wanted, comfort, power, approval, acceptance, control, are freely given to us in Jesus. It's free. He gives us all of it. A powerful transformative work reorients, our, reorients us horizontally and vertically. Here's the fourth thing. Mission comes through the words of good news. Here's the really interesting thing. The angel comes to Cornelius, and I, don't, I mean, I don't know why this, I don't know why, that, well, I do know why. My answer is number four, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> I would wonder why. <laughs> Before the end of this, where Peter shows up, I would wonder why. Why doesn't the angel just say the gospel to Cornelius? Why doesn't the angel just say, turn to Jesus? He doesn't, does he? Instead, the angel comes and says, I need you to get to a person, a human being, an embodied soul who will tell you the words of good news. What a humbling and powerful mystery. You can see it here. This is, I mean, this... uh, Peter says it this way, I I think there's, uh, mission is the people chosen by God as witnesses. I'm taking that word for word right out of Peter's sermon. 
He said that Jesus was resurrected, and I don't know why he didn't do this, but Jesus was resurrected and he didn't appear to everyone. He didn't appear to everyone, but instead, verse 40, God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people. And I'm like, why? That's ridiculous. Why wouldn't you do that? Because he has something better in mind, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. There is something evidently in the glorious, mysterious will of God that the gospel is on the lips of his people. There's there's something powerful evidently on display by redeemed people declaring the good news of Jesus. I wish Jesus would just come back for lots of reasons, this being one of them. And yet, God has seen fit not to return in the flesh just yet, but to send you in the flesh with good news. So those are these four components. Here's what we see. Mission is the people of God chosen by God as witnesses. Let me give you some tips. One, live sent. I'm going to do this later in just a moment. Uh, when When we dismiss every Sunday, I say, you are dismissed. Um, if you want me to, I'll say it in Latin so you don't miss it, but I just that doesn't seem like a good thing to do. But the word is dismissio, namely, you are sent out. That's not just like faint, look, I can leave now. Nope. Because of the gospel, you are a missionary. Because of the gospel, you are not just free to leave. Because of the gospel, you are sent out. Live sent. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you do. I don't know how God orchestrated that, but God has orchestrated that you are chosen by him to be a witness to the resurrected Jesus and the grace and love that he gives. Live, sent, live, act like it. You're not there by accident. I don't know what your job is, but you're not there for your own benefit. What if you stop seeing your job as, I mean, I get this all the time. I hear this all the time. People are like, I'm just not really fulfilled with my job. And I'm like, you were not created to be fulfilled by a job. Or people are like, I just, you know, I'm just not happy in my marriage. You were not made to be fully happy in marriage. You get the idea? Think for just a moment what would it look like to live sent. When you go to Hy-Vee today, it's not for groceries. God sent you there. I don't know why. I don't know what he has, but he has something for you to tell to someone in your family, in your workplace. It's you. You're it. You are God's plan. Act like it. Uh, The way we talked about this over the 10 years of our church is, I would joke, just kind of make light of it, um, because when we would kind of cast a vision for planting a church 10 years ago, it was was understandably disappointing. People were like, what? That sounds ridiculous. Aren't there already churches? Right? I mean, like, this is ridiculous. And like, well, there's still people who need to hear about Jesus. But like, okay. So, but I understand that. They were looking at me and going like, you're going to do that? And I, uh, author Ray Ortland says that being a pastor is simply disappointing people at a level that they can tolerate. I know, I push the limits. <laughs> Think about that this afternoon. But I would joke with people who were like, what? Like, you're going to make a church exist where there is not a church? I'm like, I know, that's weird. That's a miracle. We agree. It's kind of crazy. 
And people would kind of be like, I don't know, how's, how's that going to happen? And the way I would joke is that like, now I, I would, whatever, how, when I would get to know them, if they were a Christian, I kind of, I kind of would like call back to whatever Christian celebrity or Christian well-known person that they know of. And I would just be like, uh, and I would use that in the joke. So for some people, they're like, oh yeah, we're going to plant a church. And I would just list a Christian celebrity, right? Or, and I'd be like, yeah, we tried to get Matt Chandler, but we couldn't afford him. Uh, and so you got me, right? Or you, you don't know who that is. We, we, whatever persuasion, like we, we tried to get R.C. Sproul or John Piper, or like we tried to get that guy, uh, but it wouldn't work. And you know, like we couldn't afford it, so you got me, right? And it, it, I, would, I would joke, and I, but it was, I was pointing at something real, like this is it. You're it. Every once in a while, a Christian celebrity pops up, and we do like celebrities, we do what we like to do with celebrities, including Britney Spears, as we stab them and make them look like idiots, but that's a rarity. Over the course of history, the gospel has gone across the nations through people you don't know. And so the way I say this, like, we tried to get Jonathan Edwards to preach today, but he's already with Jesus, right? We tried to get, you know, we tried to get John Wesley, we tried to get you know, right, Pope Pius, uh, they're all with Jesus. Like, you, you get the idea, like, we tried to get that person, but God has seen fit to send you, to send me. And before that disappoints you, recognize what an amazing grace it is. Here we are in South Dakota, doing our thing. No one will remember us. No one but Jesus uh, one of the quotes from, uh, from the, the life of Charles Spurgeon, a, a famous minister in, in Britain, is that he was delayed by a train and someone had to speak in his place. And it's, the legend goes that it was his grandfather. And it turns into a quote attributed to lots of people, but originally, evidently, his grandfather. And he said of Charles Spurgeon, he says, I know that Charles Spurgeon can preach the gospel better than me. But I also know that Charles Spurgeon cannot preach a better gospel. So same thing. We tried to get Charles Spurgeon to plant a church in Sioux Falls, except he's with Jesus, right? We can't. And God has seen fit, not as a downgrade, but as an upgrade to send you and to me live like it. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. So once you begin to live sent, where, I don't know what you are, wherever you are, whatever it is, whatever sphere of influence you have, as a mom, as a dad, as a friend, as a student, as a, as a right, in, in whatever sphere or the, whatever sector of the economy, you are not there by accident. God has put you there. God has chosen for you to be a witness there. Live like it. Here's, here's at least one way you can do it, and the illustration I'll show for you. Invite someone. Invite someone. Start to include thing. We're going to say on October 8th, invite people. Invite people to hear about Jesus. We're going to clear out the parking lot so you can do that. Uh, we're going to make more space in Kids Connection so we can do that better, right? But invite someone. And why would I do that? Well, because God is doing something here powerfully through that, and it's on display, not just in the history of Christianity, but in this room. And I want to share these with you. Hi, I'm Alex. I'm Brittany. So Brittany and I were co-workers, and through having a conversation at work, uh, it led me to talk about my faith, uh, and then eventually that I attended Connection. And through those conversations with Alex, I realized that I had a deep desire to be known, um, 
and didn't have anything in my life that was fulfilling that. So I decided to go to a worship service for the first time. Um, at the service, I heard Jonathan speak to the unbelievers in attendance. And at the time I was an atheist. And so that was him speaking directly to me, I felt like. Um, and it was just a very welcoming experience. Um, and through that, I was able to see that the desires that I was having to feel known were something that could be fulfilled through Jesus. Why would I invite anyone? Because I have, I have now a part of an otherworldly purpose and mission. You have an otherworldly calling. Uh, it's, I'm sorry, it's so emotional to hear some of these stories, and here's why, I'll just, I, maybe you need to know this, is because I wrestle with my own doubts, like, is this real? Does God actually change people? Is God going to change me? And so I'm, 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 I'm deeply emotional when I hear these stories, because I'm like, oh yeah, okay, he, he does this. God actually does this. God is faithful and good. So now we're left with, we've talked about the what of mission, we've talked about the who, it's you. What about the how? And if you're in this room, and you might be thinking, how am I going to get the fuel that I need? How am I going to get the courage? How am I going to get the sustenance I need to begin to embrace and be a part of this otherworldly mission, calling, and purpose that God has for my life? And the answer is something we celebrate regularly. Jesus. Jesus, thank you so much that you are good and kind. Thank you that in the place where there was a demand and a cost, you have put yourself. In the place where there was a price tag to be paid for all that is broken in the world, instead of putting us there, you've placed yourself. So that now we have this story to tell. We are, have a purpose that is renewed. Give us, give us the eyes of faith today to see the fulfillment of this story and the movement of this historical, this, this, this historical transformation. As, as we look around the room and we're a part of, we're a part of this movement because of the gospel, that it's transcended cultures and languages and geography, that we might know the God of the universe. Thank you that you've called us into this. For some of us, it might be just simply the day to, that we begin to ask, who is it that we need to tell? Who is it that we need to invite? Put those names. Help us to be like the evangelist Andrew, who simply said to his brother Peter, come with me, I want you to meet Jesus. We may not have all the answers, but we know Jesus and we can invite others to him. Give us the courage and the power to do that. Help us now to reflect as we prepare to meet you at this table. Help us to reflect and search our own selves that we might not simply celebrate a religious duty. And even though the enemy makes us want to think about our own sin and our own unworthiness to take this meal, help us now to see that it is Christ alone at this table that makes us worthy to meet with him. Fix our gaze upon Jesus as we receive this mystery, this profound declaration of the gospel through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Thank you for his resurrection over sin, death, and hell that we would celebrate this sacrifice together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.